Forty-five years ago, a group of women in the Boston area jointly published Our Bodies Ourselves, a groundbreaking book about the radical notion that women could get to know their own bodies and take charge of their health and sexuality. It began as a packet, stapled together and distributed by hand, but it quickly became the Bible of the women's health movement. I'm Nahani Rouse, and this is Can We Talk from the Jewish Women's Archive. This month, we're talking about the pioneering book and organization, Our Bodies, Ourselves. There have been nine editions of the book since 1971. It's been adapted into 30 languages, with more than 4 million copies sold. With battles over abortion rights and Supreme Court rulings about birth control, so much of women's health is politicized. It's easy to forget that our health is grounded in our own intimate relationships with our bodies. One snowy February night, I set out in a car with Judith Rosenbaum, who directs the Jewish Women's Archive. Judith is a historian and an expert in the women's health movement. The story of Our Bodies Ourselves is really interesting to me because, in part because it is such a story of a community and a, and a story of women who didn't even set out to do this necessarily and it kind of grew in a very natural, organic, grassroots kind of way and was incredibly radical but also incredibly just personal. No one of that collective was someone who was a scientist and who was like, I believe I can compete with doctors in terms of providing information. They just had to sort of empower each other and themselves to take this on and to trust themselves and trust their own voice. And no one really told them that was okay. They had to tell each other that. We're driving to Jamaica Plain, a neighborhood in Boston, to meet Velunia Diskin, one of the founders of the Boston Women's Health Book Collective, which created Our Bodies Ourselves. Nine of the 12 founders were Jewish, and Volunia, a child survivor of the Holocaust, is one of them. We stomp snow off our boots as we climb the steps to Volunia's front porch. Volunia lives in a two-family house with her daughter, Leah Diskin, and granddaughters, Nadia and Kira. Welcome, you intrepid folks. Hello. <laughs> Hello. The house is warm. Volunia calls up to the second floor. All right, girly cues, they're here. 11-year-old Kira bounces down the stairs wearing a feather boa. Her 14-year-old sister Nadia and their mother Leah follow. We settle in around a coffee table and Kira snuggles in her mother's lap. It's hot, sweetie. Vilunia pours tea and begins telling us about what she calls the heady days of the women's movement in 1969. That's when she joined the group of women who would soon form the Boston Women's Health Book Collective. A lot of us were political activists. We'd been in the civil rights movement. We'd been in the anti-war movement. And all of a sudden, there was a movement for women, you know, to discuss women's issues. And that was really exciting. One of the issues that emerged in the group discussions was women's relationships with their doctors and their own medical care. Volunia says pregnancy and childbirth were a big focus for the women. Some of them had had... Uh, uh, terrible experiences with abortion, which was illegal at the time, and all kinds of health issues, particularly around birth. The childbirth discussion was important to Volunia, too. Leia, um, uh, who's sitting right here, uh, so she was born in 1965, and um, I wanted natural childbirth, 
And of course, in those days, that was very uh, unusual. Friends of Volunia's had found one doctor in the Boston area who let his patients labor without drugs and surgical interventions. Despite his openness, Volunia felt this doctor was condescending, referring to patients as his girls. I had just given birth. It was natural. It was a high like I've never had in my life. Uh, But it was labor. They don't call it labor for nothing. And this doctor said, Ah, look what I did for you. (laughs) It got worse than that, too. Another woman in the group needed stitches after labor. Her doctor bragged that he had stitched her up so well she was, quote, tight like a virgin. Your husband should thank me, he said. This attitude of of condescension and this attitude of just dismissing uh, uh, women, that, that was very prevalent. Here's a little historical context. In the early 1970s, women needed a note from their husband to get birth control. Abortion was illegal. 95% of OBGYNs were male, and the prevailing attitude seemed to be that women shouldn't ask too many questions. Talking about sex was not something respectable women did. As the women in the collective shared their stories, they made a list of topics they wanted to know more about. Anatomy, sexuality, birth control, abortion, the medical care system. They were looking for accurate information, information that wasn't filtered by male doctors, and they prioritized learning from other women's experiences. They didn't set out to write a book. We just thought we would uh, inform ourselves and then share that information. After months of research and writing, the women had created a 193-page packet called Women and Their Bodies. They write about feeling alienated from their bodies, about the objectification of women by gynecologists, about inequities in access to health care. They also celebrate the power and pleasure of their bodies and their sexuality. In 1971, they published Our Bodies Ourselves, renamed and in book form. There are chapters on anatomy, rape and self-defense, childbearing, menopause, birth control, and abortion. None of the women in the collective were lesbians, so a separate group of women wrote that chapter naming it, in America, they call us dykes. You have to remember, in those days, the word masturbation was never said out loud. Clitoris, the same. And here comes our bodies ourselves, telling women they could know themselves, touch themselves, tell their sexual partners what they want. The book has pencil drawings of hymens. It shows how pregnancy occurs and different ways to prevent it. In one photograph, a woman holds a mirror between her legs so she can look at her own vulva. Everybody spoke very openly and frankly because they felt really liberated. They felt trusting. Speaking of trust, Volunia is having this whole conversation with her granddaughters right here in the room. They're taking everything in, and 11-year-old Kira has heard a word she doesn't know yet. What is clitoris? It's a part of your vagina. Oh, okay. Um, I'll show you a picture after. You've Mm -hmm. seen pictures, but it hasn't been as relevant. Words are hard to remember. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a lot of conversations like about how many holes do we have and um, looked at the diagrams and stuff. I um, thought you had a baby out of the pee hole. (laughs) (laughs) Little did you know. Right. Right. You are not. Well, you thought the vagina was the pee hole. So it kind of makes sense. Kira was very, very curious earlier than Nadia was, and she just asked tens and tens of questions, so we started to get books and talked a lot, and then the dolls started having sex. Um, And they would sometimes, I remember once you left two pairs in my bedroom, 
naked, and you said, tomorrow morning when we come back, they'll have kids. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> the atmosphere in the Diskin home is remarkable, though maybe not surprising. It reflects the kind of openness that's at the heart of our bodies ourselves. Volunia says she leaves copies of the book in every bathroom in the house, perhaps a recognition that private exploration is just as important as sharing. It's time for Leah to put her girls to bed. Bye-bye. So we'll step away from the Diskins' home for a moment. Okay, good night. Close the doors tightly. Our Bodies Ourselves sparks conversations not only within families and between friends. All over the world, the organization brings women together for workshops. In 2011, three dozen American women participated in a month-long online dialogue to help shape the latest revision of the book. Juanita Kreider was one of the participants. She's lived in Indiana for most of her life, but grew up in Baltimore. She first discovered Our Bodies Ourselves when she was in high school. A lot of girls wanted to read it because they felt like there was information in there that, you know, maybe our mothers weren't really telling us what we wanted to know. Actually, going, I remember going to the public library and actually looking at the book. <laughs> Three decades later, Juanita found herself becoming part of the project. I was 50. And I was really wrestling uh, with what sexuality, sensuality will mean to me in my later years. That's also an academic interest. Juanita is writing a dissertation about representations of elder sexuality in film and television, or more accurately, the scarcity of it. The Our Bodies Ourselves dialogue connected Juanita with other older women who had wrestled with similar questions about sexuality. It was an emotional experience, but it was good. There were other women who had already answered these questions and were given advice, but there were also women who were finding themselves through this process also. It was almost like it was therapeutic. The virtual forum for this conversation also provided something that the original collective hadn't, diversity. Some feminists have criticized the fact that all 12 original members of the Boston Women's Health Book Collective were white and middle class. Juanita is African-American. She says when she first discovered Our Bodies Ourselves in high school... My little peer group, we were so thirsty for the information that didn't cross our minds. In retrospect, though, she thinks the early editions of Our Bodies Ourselves were missing some important perspectives. For example that a history of forced sterilization made some women of color fearful of free health clinics, that a person's gender identity or sexuality might be fluid. The 2011 dialogues brought together women of different races, income levels, genders, and sexual orientations. Juanita says she loves the final product, but it was the dialogue itself that was most transformative for her. It helped me to be more open and honest. And to think about shame, you know, how that plays in how we feel about our own sexuality. Many women of color, Juanita says, especially in her generation, were raised with the overwhelming notion that they need to be respectable. Because of the stereotype of a black woman being promiscuous, a lot of times that has bound us to feel a shame of things that are just normal. Things like sensuality and sexuality. Oftentimes, uh, black girls and women are raised to combat that by downplaying, almost keeping your sensual self in a closet. I find that to be detrimental. It's a normal part of being human, and I don't have to be bound by a stereotype, you know. 
I'm not responsible for how my body is read historically or how my gender and race is read historically. I'm just responsible for what pleasures me and what pleases me. Back in Volunia Diskin's living room, there's a floor-to-ceiling bookshelf. This row here and this row here and that row there are all our bodies ourselves in different translations. The newest edition sits among many adaptations of the book. This is the Hebrew one. Oh my God. It's a heavy book. The Arabic and the Hebrew one came out at the same time. Volunia gestures to them proudly. This bookshelf represents a body of collective wisdom that has evolved over time and across borders. Our Bodies Ourselves Global Initiative now works with more than two dozen women's organizations worldwide. Here in the U.S., much of that work is focused on helping women filter out the noise, the plethora of medical information, much of which is driven by a profit motive or a political agenda. In some ways, it's the reverse of what first motivated the group, too little information. There are still many other issues as well. Vilunia laments the quality of sex education in her granddaughter's public school, the defunding of Planned Parenthood, and the persistence of sexual violence. You know, we can think of it and get very discouraged, or we can think of it in the long term and say, you know, change is incremental. And some of the changes have been huge. Birth control is widely available in America today. Same-sex marriage is legal. Medical training is much more focused on patients as whole people, and 75% of OBGYNs are women. Volunia radiates optimism, but she'll never be one to just sit back. Women's rights always have to be fought for. Reproductive health, reproductive rights, I think, for a big portion of the population are just anathema, you know, uh, because it means that women really control their bodies and therefore themselves and therefore their sexuality. On the way home, Judith is still turning over the question of how much has changed in women's health. I can never decide. Like, I go back and forth between being like, oh my God, things are so different now. Like, I can't believe right around the time I was born is when it became legal for women who weren't married to get birth control, like in 1972. So in many ways, it feels like a different world. Our bodies ourselves had a lot to do with that. At the same time, I feel like women's health and women's self-determination over their bodies is still treated by the mainstream society as this kind of scary, dangerous thing. And, and I feel like that is so key to women's ability to be free in any other way in our lives. So what is freedom when we're talking about health and sexuality, and how do we achieve it? That's the evolving question Our Bodies Ourselves is still helping women ask and begin to answer. Thank you for joining us for Can We Talk? Our team includes Jewish Women's Archive Executive Director Judith Rosenbaum and Director of Engagement Tara Metal. We had help this month from Bella Book. Ibi Caputo edited the script, and our theme music is by Girls in Trouble. Visit us online at jwa.org slash canwetalk to listen, subscribe, and make a donation. To help others find the podcast, please consider reviewing Can We Talk on iTunes. Send your questions or comments to podcasts at jwa.org. I'm your host, Nahani Rouse. See you again next month.